files that does um, help with the video recording. Um, and if you have to go during the service, why again use side aisle. Take your Bible and turn to the book of Jeremiah. Um, Jeremiah also <clears throat> wrote the book of Lamentations and uh, lamenting. Um, of course, he uh, went through a lot. He had a burden for the nation of Israel, especially Judah as well, and, um, and he was their backslidden and uh, careless state. And uh, so it is, open up the book of Jeremiah, it's always a healthy book. Sometimes we don't like to go to some of those books that uh, deal with uh, the state of sin, the state of uh, problems. But I, I don't know about you, I would rather know now uh, what, is, what I'm doing in my life that's uh, not pleasing to the Lord than to wait until I stand in his presence and give an account. And, uh, and as your pastor, I, I want to do my part to help you with that and to not just uh, pat you on the back and be your buddy, but to really help you to understand what the Lord's will is and some part of your life that's not pleasing to God, that you could get a, a vision of it, a view of it, and then with that you'd say, God, I, I want to change. I want, to, I want you to help me. I, I, want, to, I want to be a, a better uh, a Christian. I want to be a better father, a better mother. Uh, maybe you're here. You want to be a better son. Uh, I, I have a huge burden uh, for our young people. Um, anybody that's been in this church, we're going to be celebrating our 56th year. And if you've been in this church, and, uh, and even my experiences and starting my own church, is that longevity is, is a big deal. And, and to see young people go on and, and grow up into adulthood and love God and serve God is almost a rarity. Uh, this church, I, I hate to say it, but you know, it's a revolving door. You know, a young person grows up in a Christian home, and uh, and they've been taught, been supposedly in an environment in their home and in church, and then uh, people are so surprised. Well, they they have no heart for God, don't want to go to church, don't want to serve. Um, I went over with our young people today. Uh, we're going over the idea of finances, but you know, finances is has got roots that 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 go out into everything and. Uh, and really, uh, they did a little exercise with me, and they, they did their time, and they tried to figure out how much time they spent sleeping, how much time they spent in school, how much time they spent eating, dressing, all the things that they would do. And then they, they had a category they called uh, uh, leisure. I don't know whether I gave it to them or they come up with it on their own. Uh, but out of, you know, and of course then they took what time, you know, where did you spend most of your time? Most of them was sleeping. Most of it was, uh, by the way, that's going to be, I told them that's going to change when you turn adult life. <laughs> you, know, see, you know, eight hours of sleep. I'm thinking, eight hours? What is eight hours of sleep, you know? And uh, maybe that changes. Maybe it's eight. Maybe you get eight hours. I haven't seen eight hours. Uh, I did a little bit one time or two when I was working uh, late, but 
Uh, and then they, they look at these different categories and then they graded themselves how well they did. Most of them did real good at eating and sleeping. Uh, they got good grades on that. When it came to school, it started falling off. Uh, when it came to uh, Bible time, it was a little bit falling off and uh, different carry. And then but when they came to leisure, well, they did really good at leisure and uh, gave themselves a good score for that. And I said, but uh, after we got all done, I said, well, where's ministry? You know, the Bible, and I gave him the verse this morning, is that he gave us some pastors, some teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry. For the work of the what? Ministry. And that's not even on some people's charts. It ought to be. And then I'm thinking, well, where did they learn that? You know, did they learn that from their parents? Did they learn that from the church, that we don't have any time for ministry? And uh, so we did a timeline on that, and they did um, on what they have, what they own, what the... So I'm, I'm hoping that God will give them the grace to think out of the box and think, you know, how can I, how can I develop my life in such a way that I could have time for... How many of you would say, Pastor, I wish I had a little more time for ministry? I wish we'd have more hands than that. Are you guys just bashful about raising your hand? Raise your hands if you'd say, I, now if you're raising it because your you, pastor wants me to raise my hand, then don't raise your hand. But if you'd say, I'd really like to have, well, you know what? If it's God's will that we have more time for ministry, then do you think God would help us to do that? How many think God would help us to do that? Yeah, I know he would. But we've got to be able to think out of the box, and we've got to be able to say, well, if I... And I, I'm rehearsing a little bit what I went over. It says, if, if I, how many of you know what the difference between want is and a need? Yeah, I may know what a need is. Uh, Roy, what's a need? Yeah, I got to have some food, right? I got to have some sleep. What's a want? <laughs> yeah, I, there's all kinds of wants out there. What's a, what's a biblical term for the word want? Lust, covetousness, right? Those things are. And so you think about it, is God going to let you, I'm going to fulfill the will so that you can have all the lust that you need. You think that's the will of God? No, it's not going to work that way. So we've got to understand, in a sense, really kind of, and I hope that maybe I encourage them. I'll see you next week. And you, if you're a parent of one of my young people down there, I put a bug in their ear. They ought to get themselves a day timer. Now that's a, that's a, brand name, but you know what I'm talking, a time thing, that they can start putting down where they spend their time and what they do with their time and then what they do, what they exercise their time in. And I told them that, and I'm rehearsing this maybe for the benefit of them through their parents, is that the leisure time, the L, would turn to what? M, ministry time. So I'm wanting the leisure to completely go away and develop the time for ministry. If we got time for leisure, then we got time for who? We got time for Jesus. So I'm encouraging you today. I'm going to look at this today. We're going to look at, actually it's going to, uh, some of the message is going to be developed a little bit around that today. We've been talking about abiding in Christ and, uh, and what uh, some of the enemies of abiding in Christ are. And I think one of the biggest ones we're going to look at this morning is the idea of um, covetousness. 
Uh, if you have, and, and I believe, honestly believe, and if you'll took in Jeremiah, we're going to see this in the book of Jeremiah. So if you'll stand, we're going to read uh, verses 6, chapter number 6, starting in verse number 6. That makes it easy, doesn't it? 6 and 6. We're not gonna, the next one's not going to be in that same number, though. All right. The Bible says, for thus, saith the, for thus hath the Lord of hosts said, Hew you down trees, and cast a mount against Jerusalem. This is a city to be visited. She is woolly op- oppression in the midst of her. As a fountain casteth out her water, she, so she casteth out her wickedness. Violence and spoil is heard in her. Before me continue is grief and wounds. Be thou instructed, O Jerusalem, lest thou, my soul depart from thee, lest I make thee desolate, a land not inhabited. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, They shall thoroughly glean the remnant of Israel as a vine, turn back thine hand as a grape gatherer into the baskets. To whom shall I speak and give warning that they may hear? Behold, their ear is uncircumcised, they cannot hearken. Behold, the word of the Lord is unto them a reproach. They have no delight in it. Come on, folks, what are we trying to do on Wednesday nights? Trying to get a delight in the word of God. They have no delight, and therefore I am full of fury of the Lord. I am weary with withholding in. I will pour it out upon the children abroad and upon the assembly of young men together. For even the husband and with the wife shall it be taken, the aged with him that is of full eight days. Their houses shall be fields and wives together for I will stretch out my hand upon the inhabitants of the land, saith the Lord. From the least of them, even to the greatest of them, everyone is given to covetousness. From the prophet, even unto the priest, everyone dealeth falsely. They have healed also the hurt of my daughter, of my people, slightly saying, Peace, peace, when there be, when there is no peace. They Were they ashamed when they had committed abomination? Nay, they were not at all ashamed, neither could they blush. Therefore they shall fall among them that fall. At the time that I visit them, they shall be cast down, saith the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you, Father, for giving us the word of God. Lord, it's not something that we can trifle with. It's something that, Father, you said that we need to study to show ourselves approved. Father, it's a work that, Father, that you have given us not only to believe in, but, Father, to uh, have it in our hearts as the the Bible teaches. Uh, Lord, that we might not sin against thee. And I pray that, Father, that we'd have a heart and a soul that would delight in it. And, Father, to recognize, Father, that we may fall into the same uh, uh, issues that, Father, you had with Israel. Help us, Lord, and take us from that, that possibility. In Jesus' name, amen. You can have a seat. So Jeremiah is communicating with the children of Israel how God is displeased with them and how they had basically fallen into an idolatry we don't like to say this. We'd say, well, we don't have in our church any statues. Uh, we don't have any icons that we fall down before. We don't have any candles that we light. 
Yet we do have what we call covetousness. That idolatry that is called covetousness. All those things that absorb our, our time. All those things that absorb our talents. All those things that take away from the things that God says we really need to have. We say we don't have time to come to church. We don't have time to memorize the scripture. We don't have time for ministry. Why don't we? God says, he says, I'm teaching them and training them and preparing them that they may be perfect, prepared unto every good work. For the work of what? The ministry. Some people think, well, you have to be called. You have to be a pastor. You have to be somebody that's in full-time ministry. Listen, it ought to be that every Christian is in full-time ministry. And the only reason that we choose not to have full-time ministry is because we choose, as I found out with our young people, leisure. Leisure is doing what you want. Doing what pleases you. I want to give you, I think, a, I think one of the best illustrations that the Bible gives, and maybe there's many, but one that stood out to me is Naaman. And Gehazi. These are two individuals that Elisha in his first began his ministry ran into these individuals and gives a great illustration, I think, of the point we're trying to make this morning. Either you are one or the other, either you are content with the life that God has given you and the ministry that God has given you. The purpose God has given to you or your covetous. You've abandoned your role and responsibility and privilege and blessing that it has of being a child of God. Enrolled in serving Him and His local assembly. Or you're after your own thing. You're filling up all of your lust. So if you take your Bibles and turn back with me to 2 Kings, let's look through what the illustration that we have this morning on this idea of covetousness. The first thing I want to mention is the idea that covetousness is, is all about you. Covetousness is all about you. My kids made out their timeline when they made out their what they do, it was all about them. It ought to be whatever we do, it should be about who? Others. If I'm going to get a good night's sleep, it's so I can be what I should be for others. If I'm going to eat right and eat what I should eat, I'm going to eat so that I can serve others. If I'm going to go to school, I'm going to, I'm going to go to school so that I can earn enough money to take care of my needs and free me up so that I can serve what? Others. I'm going to have time in my devotion so that the hand of God could be upon me so that I might serve others. So covetousness, if it's, it takes away from that idea of abiding in Christ. I look at the of uh, when uh, Cain and Abel and how that Cain was all about himself. What he wanted to do and how he wanted to serve God. And God wasn't pleased with that. 
When God rejected him after he'd, after he'd slain his brother Abel, the Bible says that he was a vagabond in the earth. He had a stamp on him. He had no place to go. He was abandoned. You know, when you are overwhelmed with covetousness, in real time, you're abandoned. That means you have no God but yourself. The only person you serve is yourself. The only interest you have is in yourself. In other words, there's a line drawn, I think, a very short line between covetousness and pride. It's all about self. You say, how does that so... But Jesus said, if any man will come after me, let him what? Deny himself. It's in direct opposition to what we want to do internally. And when we look at 2 Kings chapter number 5, we'll see that we, we have this perfect illustration because it shows us in our natural and, and carnal state as we look at, at, the, at the man Nahum. You know the Bible verse that says that he reigns on the just and the unjust. You ever heard that Bible verse before? Very, the, the word of God says that God takes care of the lost as well as the saved. Did you know that? He, he ministers to the people that don't love him, don't care about him, they don't give a hoot about him. He reigns, he gives for them, he provides for them just like he does for us. Just like he would for a bird or a dog or a cat. A wild beast that are in the field. God provides for them. And the Bible says that man does not live by bread alone, right? But by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God doth man live. And God says that when, he, when we pray, give us this day our daily bread, most people think, oh, I, I, God wants me to have three squares. God's going to take care of you with three squares, whether you're lost or saved. I think he does a better job if you're saved because you can better manage your life. What God's more concerned about is that you have the, the bread of life. Naaman, as you might guess, didn't have the bread of life, but God took care of him. I want you to read down there with me in chapter number 5, verse number 1. And Naaman, the captain of the host of the king of his Syria, was a great man with his master and honorable because what's this Bible say? I underline this in my Bible. By him the Lord had given deliverance to Syria. You think he appreciated what the Lord had done? How many think Naaman was all excited about what God had done for him in delivering him? I think he had no respect for what God had done. Clueless. Just like a lot of people in our, in our community and the people that uh, are in our homes, maybe our families, they're clueless of how God He's taking care of them in a very intimate way. But the Bible says also, and he was also a mighty man of valor, but he was what? He was a leper. You know, when the Bible says that God isn't willing that any should perish, he really does mean that. The problem is, is that with, with a person that like us in our natural and normal state, we're encompassed with pride. We're encompassed with pride. 
Instead of being all about the Lord Jesus and all about His will and all about His word and all about that, it's all about self. You say, well, did you, how many think God loved Naaman? How many think He cared about Naaman? I know, I know he, He's not willing that He cared about Naaman just as much as He cared about me. So leprosy in Naaman's life was really an opportunity for a blessing. It really was. He, that was something that he couldn't fix. That's something that he couldn't get a victory over. Though he was a mighty man of valor, though he was a, a great and an honorable man, he was still a man that was affected just like any other man. You say, what does that bring into your life? Pride? Just the opposite. It should bring what? Humility. How important is humility in the idea? You say you want to overcome uh, your covetousness. You want to be content. You want to be able to appreciate what the Lord has done. And there has to be an element of humility. If you read your verses number, uh, we'll read on down. It says in verse number two, And the Syrians had gone out by company and had brought away captive out of the land a uh, of Israel, a little maid. All these little adjectives are there for a reason, folks. A little maid. And she waited on Naaman's wife. How many think that little, little maid knew the Lord? I think that little maid had some kind of connection with, with God, and God was using her as a way of reaching this, this man of valor. Verse number 3, and she said unto her mistress, Would God my Lord were with the prophets that is in Samaria, he would recover him of his leprosy. Wow! This humble little girl speaks up for who? For God. This humble little girl is used by God to take this mighty man of valor that couldn't get a victory over his, his, uh, his leprosy and is pointing him in the right direction. The Bible says in verse number 4, And one went in and told his Lord, saying, Thus and thus said the maid that is of the land of Israel. And the king of Syria said, Go to go, and I will send a letter unto the king of Israel. And he departed, and he took with him ten talents of silver and six thousand pieces of gold and ten changes of garment. How many of you think that this was pretty important to Naaman? How many think that this issue that he was suffering was bigger than anything he'd ever had in any of his life? Verse number 6, And he brought the letter and the king of Israel, saying, Now when the letter is coming to thee, behold, I have therewith sent Naaman my servant to thee, that thou mayest recover him of his leprosy. And it came to pass, when the king of Israel had read the letter, he rent his clothes and says, Am I God? To kill, to make alive, that this man doth send me to recover a man of leprosy. Wherefore consider, I pray you, and see how he seeketh a quarrel against me. Isn't that interesting? Remember, what is covetousness all about? Is it all about God? It's all about you. Instead of abiding in Christ and Christ's will and God's will being accomplished 
It's all about you. Now watch what happens, folks. In verse number 8. And it was so when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had rent his clothes, he sent to the king, saying, Where hast thou rent thy clothes? Let him now come to me, and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. Verse number 9, And Naaman came with his horses and with his chariot and stood at the door of the house of Elisha. And Elisha sent messengers unto him, saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and thy flesh shall come again to thee, and thou shalt be clean. Notice what the Bible says in verse number 11. But Naaman was what? Raw. In other words, Naaman was what? He was angry, wasn't he? Why in the world would you get angry? Why, here you have an opportunity to be healed of leprosy. Now, leprosy, I don't, we don't suffer that. I guess they still, there is still a leper colony and still people, but it's not like it, we think of cancer and stuff like that, how it just takes a hold of people and it's over form, we think. But leprosy, it, it would eat away people's faces and ears, all their, all their uh, fingers and toes. It was just a slow, painful, agonizing, and contagious disease. And what does he do? Instead of rejoicing, hey, I, I've got a, uh, somebody with a plan and uh, I'm excited about uh, the opportunity and uh, I'm ready and willing to do whatever has to be done, he's what? Angry. Let me ask you, as your pastor, your brother in the Lord, how much of your time do you spend upset about something? Are you listening? You're upset about something. Oh, you can be upset with your kids. You can be upset with your spouse. You might even be upset with your pastor. I know that never happens in this church. You say, well, why is that? Because, you know, the idea being there, it's not about your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and how God is working in your life. It's all about you. It's not the way you think it should be. Come on. Only by what comes contention? Look at your Bible. Only by pride cometh contention. You got issues with your spouse. You got issues with your kids. Your kids, your kids got issues with whatever. Or you got issues within somebody and you always got uh, upset about something. Don't tell me as your pastor. I have the privilege to know you pretty well. You know, say, well, you don't know when I get mad. Guess differently. I do know when you get mad. I do know when you're upset with me. <gasps> you do? Well, it shows all over your face. I can see it. You have a hard time looking me in the eye or even talking to me. You're angry with me about something. I many times don't even know why. And I don't need to. Because you know what? The issue isn't my problem. The issue is yours. 
You know, when you have a problem with your spouse, uh, it, does it help when you get angry? How many figured, boy, when I get angry, things get much better? Huh? I didn't get no amens with that. How about when you, when you, when you by faith, you say, now, listen, we've got to work this out, and I've got to figure out what I've done wrong and try to work this thing out with my spouse, and I'm going to be objective in, in, in my issue, and I'm going to apologize for anything that I've done wrong, and, and uh, if it works out and my spouse sees it, and, and uh, things are, that may think things might be a little better. But you get angry, what happens? I, we have a class we teach at work called TACOM. And, and it's all about overcoming. It's just basically trying to teach Christian values without the Bible. It doesn't work very well, by the way. People say, yeah, that's a good idea, but they don't follow it. So you climb up this uh, angry ladder and you climb one rung and then your spouse climbs the next rung and then you climb the next rung and then you, hey, guess where you're going? Is it getting better as we go? What are you going to do when you get to the top? Ah, it's going to look like fireworks, right? Never happens in our life, does it, honey? Yeah. I'm, I'm the one that causes it most of the time. So. so what do we have? If you're a covetous person, you have a problem with anger. Come on. You say, Pastor, you're, you're stepping on my toes. I'm just telling you something that you have a problem with covetousness. It's all about you and it ought to be all about others. It ought to all be about the will of God and saying, listen, my issue is that I, instead of being content, I'm covetous. It's all about what I want. Naaman was wroth Verse number 11, and he went away and said, Behold, I thought he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord, his God, and strike his hand over the place and recover the leper. Are not Abana and Far, uh, Farpar rivers of Damascus better than all the waters of Israel? May I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went his way in what? Man, he just, did that solve anything, by the way? Did he get overcome his leprosy in that? Did God's will get accomplished when things didn't turn out the way he thought it should be? In verse number 13, And his servant came near and spake unto him, said, My father, if the prophet had bid thee to do some great thing, wouldst thou not have done it? How much rather than when he saith to thee, wash and be clean? He missed the whole point. God would have healed. What, 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 if you would have just said, wash and be clean, then went he down. He's, you know what? Somewhere he had enough sense. He says, you know what? That makes sense. He went down and he dipped himself seven times in the Jordan according to the saying of the man of God and his flesh came again like unto the flesh of a little child and he was clean. And he returned to the man of God and he said, and he, and I'm get this right, man of God, he and all his company and came and he stood before him and he said, behold now I know that there is no God in all the earth 
but the God, but but in Israel. Now therefore, I pray thee, take a blessing of thy servant. Does it sound like he's still in control? He wants to be. So you look in the second thing here. We see here, the Bible says. And he said, As the Lord liveth whom I stand, I will not receive none. And he urged him to take it, but he refused. He said, why is that? I mean, what's a little change of garment? What's just a little something? I mean, really, I mean, he probably had a need. Why didn't he just take something? Help me out. Why, Diane? Huh? It's all about, it's all about Jesus. I, what I'm doing is not me that did it. It's what God did. It's not what, what, what my will is. It's what God's will is. Now, how many of you know we can understand this about Naaman? Why can we accept this about Naaman? Come on, help me out. Why, why, we ought to be able to understand this, this with Naaman. Because he's lost. As far as I know, he has no relationship with God. He just seen the blessing of God and came to an understanding that God healed him. And he began to realize, hey, there's no other God but the God of Israel. He, that's a start, by the way. But you know, the story's not end here. And the story that we need to hear is about Elisha's servant. In verse number seven, Naaman said, Shall not, there not, then I pray thee, be given thy servant two mules. <clears throat> Burden of the earth, for thy servant will henceforth offer neither burnt offering nor sacrifice unto other gods, but unto the Lord. Now, mules of burden is basically he says, I'm going away here feeling like, wow, God's good. God just did that because he loved me. God just did that because. For whatever reason, I just uh, asked for help, and somehow God uh, found this little maid, and this little maid uh, got me hooked up with the right person, and, the, and, and somehow it all worked out. Don't we sing, I love a debt I do that I owe? I mean, we love him because why? You know, that's something that Naaman just, this is the first time he learned it. He could never get over what God had done for him. You know, you say, Pastor, I, I, I'd really, I, I would really like to understand myself and my own covetousness. I'd really understand that so that I could go on and abide with Christ. If that's really true about you, Christian, if that's really true that you say, I'd really like to uh, recognize my covetousness, I'd really like to be content so that Christ can abide with me and I can, I can abide with him... Then we need to look at the second, the second part of this. Because the second part of this deals with Gehazi. Gehazi was no Naaman. Gehazi was you and me, folks. He'd seen all the mighty, powerful hand of God through his master, Elisha. I believe with all my heart. Elisha was mentoring Gehazi. I believe that he was discipling him. I believe that he was teaching him. I believe that he was training him about what God's will is and God's work is. 
As we read on, I want you to see that what the plague that Naaman had, so, so also did Gehazi have. Verse number 18. In this thing the Lord pardoned thy servant, that when my master goeth into the house of Rimon to worship there, And he leaneth on my hand and boweth himself in the house of Rimon. When I bow down myself in the house of Rimon, the Lord pardon thy servant in this thing. He was one to God. Whether you saved or not, I don't know. But he was definitely one to God. Verse number 19, and he said unto him, go in peace. So he departed from him in a little way. Verse number 20, but Gehazi, the servant of Elijah, the man of God, said, Behold, my master hath spared Naaman the Syrian and is not receiving at his hand that which he brought. What was Naaman focused on? What was Gehazi focused on? The salvation of Naaman? Come on, what was he focused on? He's focused on his loss. He is focused on his covetousness. Now you say, I, I talked to your young people this morning and the young people in this church, the ones of the same generation that will take over this church someday. Hopefully. What were they focused on this morning when I gave them their timeline? Well, I got to do this and I got to do that and I got to do that. But when it comes to a little time, it's all about who? It's all about me. If you want to be honest with you, how many, how many of you have got any leisure time at all? I mean, come on. You've got, you got 20 minutes of leisure time in your life. What, who's that for? You've got an hour of leisure time. Who's that for? You've got two hours of leisure time. Who's that for? You got, and you, some of you are going to tell me you don't have any leisure time. Well, then you're really covetous. If your back's to the wall and all you can do is work to keep life going, then you're so wound up with what you think you need. God never designed us to serve mammon. How many know that? He made you and me with the ability to serve him. And God will give you a way out and God give you the ability to, to be liberated from it just as he was Gehazi. Look in verse number 20. Gazi, the servant Elijah, the man of God, said, Behold, my master spared Naaman the Syrian and is not receiving at his hand that which he brought, but as the Lord liveth. I put a little bracket around that in my Bible. You say, why is that important? As the Lord liveth. He thought. He thought. That his feelings and his direction and what he was doing was the will of God. He was deceived. You and I, we think, well, there's just no other way in my life. My life is all about what it is and there's no way to change it. I'm in this rut and I'm, I'm ruled by my finances. I'm ruled by... 
He says, as the Lord liveth, I will run after him and take somewhat of him. Now, there says a lot right here, folks. And I don't think you have to read between the lines. Did he know what Elisha's mind was on this? How many knew Gehazi knew what, God, what Elisha's mind? Oh, yeah, he knew it. We're not going to take from a Naaman. Uh, Naaman, this is, uh, and, and Naaman, yeah, you're worried about the fact that you're going to have to go into the house of Rimmon and bow down, blah, blah, blah. And, uh, but that's going to be forgiven. We know your heart's with God and all that. We're not taking a dime from you because God. And he had a problem with what? Come on. He had a problem with authority. You know, when your covetousness is all about you, and so you, you question whether God really means that you need to devote your life to the work of the ministry or to the will of God. What you really think it's all about is all about you. You really think that, that, that hey, I, I've, got to, I've got to be doing this and this and this and this with my time and this and this and this with my money? Have you ever consulted God about that? I can remember when they, and I told the kids this morning, when God called me into the ministry, it did, did nothing in that looked reasonable in my mind. It never did. It never does. It does not. When you add up in, the, in our minds what the will of God is and what God wills for you to do and how to spend your time and money, it never adds up. It never adds up. In, in our mind, it will never figure out how or because, listen, the Christian lives his life by faith. There's no way to add that up. I scared my little one, didn't I? God, God intended for you to trust him. Don't worry. Ronald. One day he'll sleep. I'll put him to sleep with my preaching. That's usually what happens. They hear Pastor's voice and they... It's time to go to sleep. I do that with some of the adults. But Gehazi, the servant, the man of God, as the Lord liveth. Yeah, I know what Elisha thought. I know what Elisha said. I know what he said, but listen, I really, I got the inside on this. Let me ask you. Dear Christian, do you have a problem with authority? Do you have a problem with authority? You wonder why your kids have a problem with authority. I mean, you have a struggle with your kids listening to you. Hmm? You say, wonder why they learned that? Come on. You say, where did they learn to have a problem with authority? They learned it from the, their tutor, their mentor. Let me say, if your kids, come on, know that when you go home, you roast the preacher. That never happens in this church, does it? Come on. You get around the kitchen table and there's this little verbiage that comes out about preacher or about what he says to do or what we're planning to do. A little verbiage comes out. Do your kids hear that? Yes. Oh yeah, they hear it. 
Oh, I guess it's the I guess that's part of the will of God. You you need to question authority. So you wonder if you're covetous? You wonder if you fill into the same lines and problems and issues, and you wonder why you really don't have a heart and a soul for learning the scripture, and you're thinking, oh, no, now pastors come up with this weird idea. He's going to have teams, and we're going to have to learn the verse, and we're going to be competing against our own kids. That's weird. Our own families. Then you have a problem with what? Say it with me. You have a problem with what? Authority. Because it's all about not the will of God. It's all about you. Come on. Gehazi didn't make these dumb mistakes without a little bit of understanding that he was all about Gehazi, not about Jesus, not about the will of God, not about the word of God. Listen, he stands in our Bible as an infamous person. And when you hear the name of Gehazi, you don't say, wow, what a man of God. No, we look of a, think of a sneak and a deceiver and one that was all about selfishness and pride. And you say, well, how does that apply to us today? It's the same thing, folks. Can somebody tell me if, it's, if covetousness is in the Ten Commandments? Covetous. Exodus chapter 20, verse 17. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house, nor covet thy neighbor's wife, nor manservant, nor maidservant, nor his ox, nor his ass, nor anything that is his neighbor's. It's repeated in Deuteronomy chapter 5, in verse number 21. The Bible says in verse Psalm chapter 10, in verse number 3, the wicked boasteth of his heart's desire and, and blesseth the what? Covetous. You know, we misunderstand how important this is. Take your Bible and turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter number 6. Folks, this is, you say, I, I wonder what's wrong, why I really don't have a heart. Because... God will not share his glory with your covetousness. 1 Corinthians chapter number 6. Verse number 9. I want you to read along with me. Know ye not, the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? That's a rhetorical question. We got a little covetousness. A little covetousness is not good. Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. Now we looked at all of them and said, boy, I'm not an adulterer. 
I'm not effeminate. I'm not a fornicator. I'm not a drunkard. But you know what? If you fit in the same category with all the rest of them, that's serious, isn't it? God looks at covetousness as idolatry. You say, how, how is it that we allow that to come into our lives? You know, there's a way to fight covetousness, and that's with contentment. You know, if you're going to say, I, I, can get, I can live on less. I don't need everything that everybody else has. Elisha looked at the opportunity that he had to get these things from uh, Nahum, and he says, I don't need these things. I don't need some change of garments, and I don't need no gold. I don't need none of that. I'm, I'm doing just fine with what I have. Matter of fact, I think he looked at it as hurting him spiritually, not helping. So let's read on in Second Kings chapter number 6. Five, I'm sorry. In verse number 21, So Gehazi followed after Naaman, and when Naaman saw him running after him, he lighted from the chariot to meet him and said, Is all well? What's something wrong? Well, you know what? I thought we'd, thought we'd, do I miss something? And he said, All is well. My master has sent me. Boom, boom. Was that the truth? No, he didn't even flinch when he said that, did he? We're going to go on. He says, my master has sent me, saying, behold, even now there have become to me from Mount Ephraim two, two young men of the sons of the prophets. Give them, I pray thee, a talent of silver and two changes of garment." And Naaman said, Be content, take two talents. And he urged him and bound two talents of silver into, into two bags with two changes of garment and laid them upon the two servants. They bare them before him. And when he came to the, to the tower, he took them from the hand and bestowed them in the house and let the men go, and they departed. But, when, but he went in and stood before his master. And Elisha said unto him, Whence comest thou, Gehazi? Gehazi? He said, Thy servant went no whither. He said unto him, Went not my heart with thee when the man turned again from his chariot to meet thee? Is it time to receive money, to receive garments, and olive yards, and vineyards, and sheep, and oxen, and men servants, and maid servants? Now he did receive some some silver from him and he received the garments. Why did why did Nay why did uh, Elisha mention all the rest of those things? That's what everybody else has. That's what everybody else thinks is important. Folks, this is a serious thing when you look at what the Bible says here. The contentment that God gives us. The Bible says, and if we need to turn there, maybe we should. Turn your Bibles to 2 Timothy. 
Second Timothy. I'm sorry, First Timothy. First Timothy chapter number six. If I could put my finger on one thing in the modern day that we live in that's doing damage to this local church, and I believe to many local churches, is this idea of covetousness. First Timothy, chapter number 6, if you'll, if you'll read along with me, verse number 1. It says, let as many servants as are under the yoke count their own master worthy of all honor, that the name of God and his doctrine be not blasphemed. And they that have believing masters, let them not despise them because they are brethren, but rather do them service. Because they are faithful, beloved partakers of the benefit, these things teach and exhort, if any man teach otherwise, and consent not to wholesome words, even to the words of our Lord Jesus and to the doctrine which is according to godliness. If you and I are going to portray Christ, then we have to be a people of modest means. The world has gone after Trends, fads. We got to have this. We got to have that. We got to go here. We got to go there. The Bible says that that is not the doctrine that's according to God. Let's the Bible says in verse 4 if he's not according to this doctrine, he's proud, knowing nothing, but doting about questions and strife and words whereof cometh envying, strife and railing and evil surmising. Perverse disputing of men of corrupt mind, destitute of the truth, supposing that what? Gain is godliness. This is, this is more the merrier. The bigger the better. He says, but godliness with what? Verse number six. Godliness with what? Contentment. Being content is great gain. He didn't say it was a, 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 an advantage. He says when, you're cont- when you live a life of contentment, you're content with your kids, you're content with your wife or your husband, you're content with your pastor, you're content with your church, you're just the person that learns to be content with what God has... You know how many say there's some people out here they they're not happy because there's somehow they think they could do better with a better husband or a better wife or a better church or a better pastor or a better job. I'm not saying you can't improve on some things, but I'm saying overall the Christian heart is content. There's a sense of rest. There's a sense of peace. They've learned to live. Paul said, he said, I've learned no matter what state I'm in, to be what? I'm going to be content. 
Was there needs in Paul's life? I mean serious needs. Was there some needs in Paul's life? He was without. He was hurt. He was beaten. He says, I've learned to be what? Content. Even when there were needs. It's not done, folks. In verse number 7, we brought what? Nothing into this world and is certain what? We can carry nothing out. So God says, listen, I've given you all that you need. You don't need nothing. Really, literally. We think we need everything. God says, you don't really need anything. He says, I feed the birds. I feed the animals. I give them everything they need. In verse number 8, and having what? Food and raiment, let us therewith be what? Oh, wow. You, if you really be honest with me this morning, and you say, you know, if you got some food and you got a, uh, it doesn't even say you have a place to, to, to shelter. It says if you have food and raiment, why? Be content. Gehazi. How many of you would like to follow around Gehazi or Elisha for a while? Wouldn't it be kind of interesting watching? Wouldn't it be kind of interesting to see the, the widow and how the widow's thing never uh, failed? Uh, the, the cruise of uh, 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 it? oil never failed. And watch the, uh, and experience all that. Wouldn't that have been a blessing to see all the hand of God? You know what? I believe Gehazi did not appreciate anything that God was doing. Contentment is all about. Let me give you three things. Maybe it would be well to write them down. If you're going to be content, first, you're going to be content that God's will is done. You're going to find what God's will is for you, and you're saying, listen, I, if I, I'll, I'll be content when I can do, find God's will, and when I can do God's will. We see that. Secondly, you're content if God is glorified. If somehow that your marriage would glorify God, if somehow your kids would glorify God, if somehow your service in this local church would glorify God, if somehow what you do at work and who you meet with work and how you present yourself at work would glorify God, you would be content. Thirdly, the last one is contentment. If you give God his proper place on his throne. You give God his proper place on his throne. Notice what he, as he finishes this up with Elisha. In verse number 27, the Bible says this. The leprosy, therefore, of Naaman shall what? Cleave to thee. I believe if you want a word picture here, you have the issues, the problems that plague the rest of the world. Are you listening, Mom and Dad? 
Are you listening to this, brother and sister? You see the problems that the world faces out there? The issues with their kids, the issues with their marriage, the, the issues with money, the issues with any issue that the world has will cleave to you. Is that what you want? So as it's either abiding with Christ and being content, Or you be covetous and be abandoned. Is that really a choice? Do you look at that as a choice? Do, do I really want to be abandoned? Do I, do I really want to have so much pride that I, I want to do things my way and I want to be angry because uh, the way that I think things should be, whether at home or at church or at work or wherever it is, is that really the way? I, you know what? Anybody know what happens to unresolved anger? Bitterness. You, you know, a person, you know, it's like a poison. Anybody know anybody that's bitter? They, they look at everything in a negative way. Anything good, no matter how positive, no matter how much of blood, they've got to find some issue with it. You want that to be you? Because you're abandoned. I don't know about you. But I'm going to take this story about Gehazi and I'm going to run with it. I'm going to take this story about what Gehazi learned the hard way. And he, he, he had leprosy. A contagious disease. You know what? I, you can't find a stronger judgment that got, who do you think? You think it was Elisha that somehow got the leprosy on, on, on uh, Gehazi? Or was that the God from on high saying, listen, Gehazi, I gave you chance after chance, miracle after miracle, blessing after blessing to witness and be mentored by, but you chose what? Instead of contentment, you chose covetousness. And now every, every issue that the world has, you're going to have. I don't know about you, and I'll, I'll say this again. Listen to me, Christian. If there's one thing that plagues this church, you say, well, church, pastor, we're just a poor little church. We don't, we just barely making it. You know what? You can be poor and be covetous. Matter of fact, I think you're more inclined to be that way. Never content, never happy. What was the two things you needed to be content? Physical things, needs that God says you should be content? Food and raiment. Have we got more than that? How many of you have got drawers you can't get the drawers shut very easy? How many of you got closets that, that, that the, the rack in the middle is going like this? I know we're talking about ourselves, but that's all right. We're going to get rid of some of that stuff. My wife says we got to, we got to, she says, uh, uh, what's this big orange? We got a tub. It sits alongside our couch. It's this wide. It's this deep. It's this long. What's that for? We put our winter coats in there. There's just two of us. How many winter coats do we have? I 
I'm telling on myself, but let me tell on you. Right? Are those signs of covetousness? How many, how many know, have you seen those shows with hoarders? You know what I'm talking about? Seen those shows? I remember we went into a lady's house one time, and she had this one little path. I don't think she threw away the newspaper or nothing. This one little path, she walked through the house. It's a disease. Wouldn't it be, wouldn't it be free to say, to just to say, you know what, I don't need my, I got Jesus as my Savior. I, this is one of these messages I just kind of sense it's just not going to go anywhere. I'd like for you to take, I'd like you to do like my young people did, and they went home, and they, they took an inventory of all they had. And one person said they had 90 shirts. 90 shirts. You could clothe all half in the Kennedy's high school class. You wouldn't have to wash. That might be good. You wouldn't have to wash for three months. Let me say it's an enemy. I'm making light of it toward the end here, but I want you to understand it's serious. It's, how many of you think your bank account would look better if it wasn't for covetousness? How many think you might have more time for the Lord if it wasn't for covetousness? How many think that you'd just be, feel like, man, I would just be, life would be much simpler if I wasn't covetous? Let's pray. Father, we thank you. Let's stand. Father, we thank you for the truth. You said the truth sets us free. And Lord, we know that freedom from ourself is the biggest freedom that we can have, Father. Lord, to have you be our Lord and King of Kings over us, over our needs, over our wants. Father, that Father, that we liberate us, Father, from our selfishness and from our pride. Liberated, Father, from, from being controlled by things. Lord, I ask, Father, that you'd help us to recognize the same disease that the world is suffering with has cleaved to us.